0: Well, it is hard to believe that already it is the last Lord's Day of 2003. Beginning in 2001, we established five separate themes for the next five years. That will go all the way to 2006. Each year, we plan to teach on a particular topic of Scripture and Pray to God that God might establish um, these truths in our lives, as a corporate body. It has been amazing to see God's work through our humble efforts. If you've been with us for the past four years, you will know that God has been steadily um, build has been steadily building us up year by year, and for that we are grateful. Our first year that we started this theme was in the year 2001. The theme of that year was the supremacy of Christ, supremacy of Christ. And our motto that year was that in all things, Christ might have the preeminence. We purposed in our hearts to firmly establish the preeminence of Christ in our lives, in our families, and in our church. We sought to do all that we could do to have Christ be the center of all our efforts. We wanted to make sure that Christ is supreme, Christ is preeminent in every aspect of our lives, especially at His church. The second year theme, 2002, was the high view of God's Word. The motto that year was submitting all things to His his matchless Word. We understand that Christ mediates His authority through His Word If we claim to be Christ centered, but if we deny his word, disregard it, then we're running a business here. We're not truly a church. A church submits to the Lordship of Christ by submitting to the authority of Scripture. So we really endeavor to establish the authority of Christ in every aspect of ministry here at Cornerstone. Every activity, every program every ministry here at Cornerstone, we want to ask this simple question. Is it biblical? Is it biblical? Whether it was a philosophy of ministry, a counseling issue, issue with raising children, or a specific ministry or program, our question would not be, can we do it? Or, what will be the result? What do people want? The question was not, what will attract the crowd? No, for us, we want to establish. The first question we need to ask is, is it biblical? Is it scriptural? Is this what God's Word teaches us to do? And we want to test everything by that simple question. And we found out that was a very um, jugular question to ask, a dangerous question to ask. Because by asking that question... It it tested our motivations. It forced us to ask more questions. Questions like, Who are we trying to please? Whose church is this? Who is the true authority of Cornerstone? Is it James? Is it Bob? Is it the members? Is it the non-believers? Or is it Christ? That was a real important year. And one of the ministries that went under the test was our sports ministry. And it didn't pass. And we are stronger for it. Last year's theme was, or it is, so uh, for a few more days, The Great Command of Evangelism and Missions. The Great Command of Evangelism and Missions. And the model this year was, Great Passion for God's Great Commission. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm most grateful to God for this past year. I know we have a long way to go, but I truly believe that we have significantly grown in this area of evangelism and missions. God has used this year um, to instill in us a great passion for the lost and for this world. I would I highlight five important um, ministries that God used to build us up in evangelism. The first one, the elders going out to Ireland and Czech Republic, think it was huge, to visit our missionaries. Our family went and spent one week with the coils and saw firsthand the family there laboring for Christ in a difficult field. And the, Bob and his family joined us in Czech Republic and saw firsthand Peter's heart was lost there in Czech Republic. And that was huge for us coming back. And seeing our missionaries toil and labor in the front lines, it changed our prayer lives. It changed our perspective of ministry. And it really, I think, influenced our church directly. Secondly, uh, sending two teams to Ireland and Czech Republic to summer was huge. Um, You know, two years ago, we didn't have enough men to send a team, even one team, to missions. This year, after the summer teams went, people wanted to go back. It was a grassroots effort. This past winter team, the seven men and women that are there right now, it wasn't planned by Cornerstone Leadership. It was grassroots. People wanted to go. People wanted to, to spend their own money, um, their own vacation time, to serve in the mission field. What a change in just two two years. The third big influence towards evangelism was two ministries, actually. Welcoming ministry and Milestone. I mean, two huge additions to our team. Kind of like Gary Payton and young Carl Malone joining joining the Lakers. I mean, two ministries that really impacted our culture, impacted our church towards loving the lost. Fourth influence was uh, Don't Live Your Life by John Piper. If you haven't read this book, then you're missing out. I believe about 70% of Cornerstone members have read this book in 2003. The title comes from Piper's experience as a young man when he saw his dad, and a pastor as well, lead an older man to Christ. The older man was obviously joyful and in tears, and yet also he was in tears out of, out of guilt and shame. And Piper remembers this man repeating, continually, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. And what was he referring to? He was referring to his own life. He lived his own life. And he came to Christ late in life. And looking at his life, he realized, I've wasted my life. And Piper responded by saying, I don't want to ever say that to myself. I don't want to ever have to say that prayer. I don't want to waste my life. And he wrote that book. And a great challenge for for all of us. To redeem our lives in the cause of Christ. Fifth great influence towards evangelism was the elders going to Kazakhstan. Bob and I and Mike Kastura spending two weeks with the pastors in Almaty, Kazakhstan was huge. I think Bob shared in his prayer request that this was the, one of the most important things he has ever done in his life. And I echo that statement I think Mike will agree after seeing what we saw we can't go back Um, our our view our vision for Christ our vision for this world has been expanded and we can't live in live the way we used to think the way we used to God has stretched us God has enlarged our vision and it will forever be different And so this October, we'll be sending three more men from Cornerstone to Kazakhstan. We talked to Faith Bible Church of Slavic Gospel and asked if they had a slot open for us. And we preferred a cold spot, maybe December, January, to have our men suffer. But October, cold enough, um, we're sending three more men so that more of our people, more of our leaders can experience God's work halfway around the world. So, that's in the past three years and a snapshot perspective of what God's been doing in our body. But here we are on the last Sunday of 2003. This year is gone. If you wasted it, then you can't get it back. That's it. You know, I have one shot of this year and it's gone. Well, we can't go back to evangelism. We can't go back to the high view of God's word. We can't go back to supremacy of Christ. Those will be th- running themes for the rest of our lives. But we have a new theme to tackle in 2004. And that is the glory of the church of Jesus Christ. The glory of the church of Jesus Christ. Our model this year is that we may be built up, attaining to the fullness of Christ. One of my prayers is that, you know, I love the church. I love the local church. I love Cornerstone but my own prayer is that God might renew my love for Cornerstone. God might renew my love for the local church. I remember discovering that truth years ago, and I prayed that God might renew that heart, renew that uh, first love, that, that intense, emotional, sacrificial, selfless love for Christ's bride. And, I, and that is the leader's prayer for each member of Cornerstone that God might instill in you or renew in you on just a deep and abiding love for the bride of Christ. Why? Because Christ died for the church. And if we are following Christ, then we must do the same. We must live and die for the church as well. So, as we close out 2003 and we start 2004, we want a little overlap. We're going to close and start, close 2003, and start 2004 by doing a four-part study on elders and church leaders. A four-part study on elders and church leaders. You know, guys, people ask me all the time, I don't know how this happens, but people hear about Cornerstone um, through various avenues. And I meet fellow pastors, Christians from abroad, Christians that seemingly me have very little connection to Cornerstone, and they tell me, James, I hear great things in Cornerstone. I hear uh, people are growing. I hear God is working. Everybody can saved. And, you know, our reputation in a way precedes us. And when they ask, people ask me often, James, what is the main reason for your blessedness? Why are you guys growing? Why are you guys spiritually maturing? How was it that you're attracting young people to Christ? In our church, it's hard to get young people even to come to service, right? They're, they're post-college. They're still ditching to go to the video arcade and, and spend their $2 offering. You know, how do you get people to come to church and come in that way? You know, and I do not tell them, you know, our secret is the location of our church. Man, you know, turn that AC up, you know, at Garden Grove, and you get people to come and pay attention. No, I don't tell them that. You know, I don't tell them, oh, it's, it's me, you know, James Chin, right? I'm the, I'm the one, or Bob, or anyone else. I don't tell them that certain programs, or certain marketing methodology, I don't tell them all these things. I tell them the major reason for our blessedness of our church is the quality of our leaders. I believe this is the main reason for the blessedness of our church. I believe that with all my heart. The plurality of godly leaders, by the grace of God, is a major reason for our blessedness. I consider the men who serve alongside with me, as elders, as flock shepherds, as small group leaders, as leaders of ministries, second to none, as I compare them to ministers in other churches. Each Christian leader at our church, together with us, play a vital role in the health of our church and the effectiveness of our ministry. And I pray that this continues. I pray that this high standard for for church leadership continues not just to 2004, but until the return of Christ. Because as Pastor John has said, he said that a church can survive anything except failure in leadership. And that's... Man, you know, that's why MacArthur is who he is. You know, the coin, a quote like that, that's, that's precious. That's truth. You can bank on that. Right? He is saying that a church can, can survive any spiritual difficulty, any physical trial, even financial uh, uh, tribulation, failure. In fact, a church will thrive under persecution. A church will grow under hardship. But when leaders fail, when the leaders are poor and incompetent, the church cannot rise above that. Why is that? I mean, you know, leadership one on one will tell you that leadership is everything. Whatever organization Corporation, armed forces, basketball team—it matters not. Leadership is everything. Family. Leadership is everything, and it is all the more true in the local church. But sad to say, that the church today is captive to a low standard for leaders. By God's grace, we have swam against that current, and I pray. And that will continue. As we approach 2004, our challenge is to maintain a high level of leadership, high standard for leaders. Not just high standard, but a biblical standard for leadership. Another challenge is that we need more of them. We need more leaders, and we need more elders in years to come. Why? Well, first of all, just our current growth we began our church in 1999, February, we had 35 members and two elders. And there we are four, four years later, then we just passed 100 members, and we still have two elders. We need more elders. We need more teachers. Uh, we need more, we need men who know scripture. Men who on their free time study Greek and Hebrew, who well, are memorizing scripture, who are reading Grudem, or reading Edwards, reading Sproul, we need men who will know how to, to exegete a text and proclaim its truth with clarity and faithfulness. We need more teachers. We need more flock shepherds. We need more men and women who will come alongside young believers and teach them how to pray, teach them how to study scripture, teach them how to obey Christ, teach them how to witness. We need more small leaders. You know, we, we did a Uh, Our evaluation of our ministries, we have 30 plus ministries here at Cornerstone. That's amazing. We have 30 plus ministries and we're lacking leaders because of our current growth. Secondly, we need more leaders, we need more elders because more leaders provide greater strength, safety, and wisdom. More leaders provide greater strength, safety, and wisdom. You know, last year at this time at the church we went through a few major tests of the body. And it's a funny thing, you never realize you're being tested unless, until it's over. And your hindsight you realize, wow, that was that was huge. That was a major test. We could have we could have buckled then, you know, that was that was hard. You don't realize you're going through but hindsight being twenty twenty, we realize a year ago and I don't wanna get into all the details and discourage us you know, closing out this year, And you know, we passed, by God's grace, and we put pretty okay, it B minus, you know, but we passed, right? Went through a major test, and it was huge. And having a plurality of elders, Bob and I, that was key, that was so important. If I was by myself, you know, maybe D plus, right? Maybe just a flat D. But because Bob and I, we have plurality, we're watching each other's backs, we're keeping each other accountable, we're praying for one another, we're, we're exhorting one another, B minus. all right. I mean, Ecclesiastes 4 tells us that, two are better than, not, better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Right? Verse 12, the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, a court of three even better. It's not quickly broken. Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs eleven fourteen. Many advisors make victory sure for a nation. So by God's grace, because of plurality of leadership, we passed our task this past year, but I know one thing. There are more tasks to come. For our church, and um, you know, the test that we went through was a pop quiz compared to the tests that are coming 2004, 2005, and six, and years to come. There are going to be some huge tests for our church. And if we want to at least pass the B, we need more leaders, we need more elders, and finally, we need more leaders because. This is the greatest hindrance for us to tackle this theme. If we want the church to be like Christ, if we want Christians the Cornerstone to attain to the full measure of Christ, the hindrance is not a building. We don't need a building. right? We don't need a central location. That's not the prohibitive issue. It is not finances. It is not money. It is not even manpower. You guys are such we we thank God for you. We have so many with the heart to to come and serve and help. The prohibitive issue in, in becoming more like Christ in the church is we lack more godly male leaders who will fully commit their lives to build up the church. We lack men who will serve by leading We have many who want to help. Many who want to just serve, which is good, which is noble. But we need men who will serve by leading. Who will stick their necks out and risk failure and take the reins and and be a leader. Therefore, again, to end 2003 and start 2004, I want all our hearts to be pondering and thinking about Paul's message to us in 1 Timothy 3. I pray that that for the next three weeks, that your hearts will be upon this passage. You'd be praying for Cornerstone. You'd be praying for Cornerstone men. That they would respond to God's call upon their lives. God's call. That they might aspire to this noble aspiration. It is essential that Bob and I exemplify these qualities as outlined in this passage. It is essential that future elders and future leaders exemplify these qualities. And not only that, it's essential, it's pivotal. It's, it's, it's imperative that all men of Cornerstone grow in these traits as well. Well, you that was not even an introduction. This is an introduction. That was just a primer on our series on, on elders, on leaders. I want to begin our study by asking you a simple question. If you have a pen and paper handy, please write this question down. Um, think about it this week. Let me pray about it this week. What is your aspiration in life? What is your current aspiration? I went to Webster's uh, Dictionary and looked up aspiration. Webster defines it as a strong desire to achieve something. A strong desire for high achievement. An ambition. So what is your ambition in life right now? What do you want to accomplish with your life? What is your heart? What is your passion? What is your single, overriding, all consuming passion in life? I want to accomplish this. Well, a main problem for many Christians is twofold. Number one, they do not have any ambitions in life, they don't have any ambitions, they lack aspiration. They lack zeal and passion. You, you look at their eyes and you see right away there was no fire in their eyes. They're just nice people. Nice guys. Nice girls. People were just nice. And that's all they are. Blaise Pascal said, Nothing is so intolerable to man as being fully at rest, without a passion, without business, and without care. But secondly, the greater problem is that most Christians, and sadly most men, they lack God-centered ambitions. They lack God-centered ambitions. Right. believers who have wrong passions in life. Right. They have passions, but they are secular, they are temporal, they are worldly, and it's not for the cause of Christ. And, you know, I don't know if, as soon as I share illustrations, and I don't want to put anyone down, right, I don't want to use the pulpit and the soapbox and you know, offend anyone or hurt anyone, so that's not my intention, it's because I live in the world of Cornerstone, that's all I know, so I I would love to use illustrations from Shakespeare, right, I would love to use from, you know, Odyssey of Homer, but I mean, that's not the world I live in, I don't live in Shakespeare, I live in Cornerstone, so this is all I know, just take it as that, we were hanging around with some guys a few weeks ago, and they're just getting all excited about fantasy basketball. I mean, they knew the stats of all these players, and they're doing trades like general managers. They're getting all intense. And you know, personally, I was just I just can't handle that. I just can't be around that. You know, even though the Lakers were playing third quarter, I have to go home because I don't want. I just can't handle it personally in my heart. And I was driving home, I was thinking, man, these guys they don't know that it's fantasy basketball (laughs) the opposite word being fantasy right that you don't own these teams you're not a general manager it's it's fantasy it's imagination it's make-believe now if high school kids did that okay that's what high school kids do right college students did that man okay i know okay you're holding on to your Adolescence, you extend your adolescence, but okay, you know, end that pretty quickly. But if you're doing that post-college years, brothers, I mean, I don't know, just personally, come on, it's fantasy. Like, we go to Disneyland, but we shouldn't live in Disneyland, right? You should, visit, you should come home and live in the real world, where there's work to be done, gospel to be preached, people to be one for the cause of Christ. So it, it saddens me when most men have ungodly ambitions in life. Their, their ambition is to win fantasy basketball. And I don't know what, you get a trophy or something? Or what, do you, what do you get? Do you get, you, get you get a plaque or something? All right. As Christians, we must have biblical ambitions. And as men, it's outlined here in verse 73, 1 through 7. The noble ambition that every man must have, right? So I'm preaching to men this morning. This is a noble ambition, a noble aspiration that every man must aspire to. I mean, there's some wisdom in God outlining it like this for us. I think God understands men, that we need tangible goals. We need structure. We need rules. We need a clear guideline. We need a clear goal. I don't know about women. Maybe you guys need it or not, but I know men need that. I know I need that. I like personally, I can't just run just to run. I, I just can't. I do that for a few minutes, and I need a goal. I need to be focusing on something. Now, if somebody were to tell me, James, run as hard as you can this way, and I might throw the ball at you then I'll run, right? I'll run with all my might. If the guy doesn't throw it, it's okay because that's part of the rules, right? And if he does throw, I'll do everything I can to chase that ball. But without a ball, it's hard for me to run, right? But so guys, maybe you're like me. You need a goal. You need a ball. You know what the ball is? It's right here. Everything is established for us in 1st, 2, three, 3, 1 through 7. This is what all men are to aspire to. So let me just spend the rest of our time sharing from the text and share five truths about this call to leadership. Five truths about this call. Number one, it is a compelling call. It is a compelling call. First Timothy one. If anyone aspires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So it's it's incumbent upon you. It's a must. God has placed a call upon your life. And he says, if anyone aspires, the Greek word means to stretch out. It means to reach out outwardly. It's a picture of a runner at the end of a race. And he's just neck and neck with his competitor. And he's straining with all his might towards the finish line. And that's the picture. If anyone strains himself, if anyone just, if any man constrains himself towards being a leader, being an overseer, being an elder, Paul says, that is a noble task. That is a fine thing he is striving after. The word desire, he desires noble task, it's epiphemia, it's passionate compulsion. It is inward. It is passion. It is warming over intense desire. These two words describe the kind of man who was called by God. That all men You have, must have, this life-consuming desire, inward desire, to be used by God, to be used of God, to do the work of an elder, to do the work of an overseer—a life-consuming passion. Reminded of uh, Pistol Pete Maravich, LSU basketball player, played in the NBA. I mean, he loved basketball. He loved it so much. When he went on his first date with his future wife in high school, he took a basketball with him on a date. They went to see a movie, and he got the aisle seat. Why? So he can dribble the ball during the movie. Right? He practiced for hours on passing. Right? And he would not shoot a single shot. All he would do for hours is just pass the ball. Right? someone's prayed for hours and not pass once, and he did the opposite, right? <laughs> his life illustrates how a man can be consumed by a single passion. Well, and he said to himself that he, he was a Christian, he became a Christian, and he didn't want his life to be marked by love for baptism, but love for Christ. Well, a man, a Christian man, his life is to be consumed but the desire to work and serve and minister in the church of Christ. And note that it is not the office that the man seeks, but it is the work that he seeks. It is not the desire for, for position, not the desire for fame and fortune, but it is a desire for service. Oswald Sanders in his book, Spiritual Leadership, wrote this quote, The True spiritual leader is concerned infinitely more with the service he could render to God and his fellowship than with the benefits and pleasures he can extract from life. He aims to put more into life than he takes out of it. The greatest need is not for leaders but for saints and servants. Unless that is held in the foreground of our thinking, the whole idea of leadership and leadership training becomes dangerous. End quote. The man seeks the service, not the title. Not only that, the aspiration is a voluntary desire. It it is motivated solely by the man moved by God in his heart. The The word aspire is present middle indicative. The middle voice indicates that the subject is performing an action upon himself. He himself aspires to the office of the overseer. 1 Peter 5 talks about this. Peter says, you need to serve as shepherds, not because you must, not because you have to, but because you are willing The motivation is not by compulsion, it is not by an external constraint, it is not because your parents want you to serve in this capacity, it is not because a leader asks you, it's not because there's a great need. The work must be done voluntarily, willingly, a desire by the man, because God put that desire in his heart. The first truth is that it is a compelling cause, second truth is that it is an important call. An important call. Look like at verse 1. Paul prefaces this statement, if anyone aspires far as the office of overseer, with a shorter statement, the saying is trustworthy. He's saying it is a faithful statement. It is a true statement. Why? Because it is an important statement. Paul is calling the te- Calling our attention to the importance of this aspiration. It is an important call. Let's move on to the third. It is a responsible call. Responsible call. The word overseer, the Greek word is epictetos. The term means watcher, overseer, it means protector. Philo defined this term as, quote, the one who knows souls. Josephus so defined it as a guardian. 1 Peter 2.25, Peter calls Christ the guardian of your souls. That's what Christ's role was for us, and that's the role that we ought to play for one another. Acts 20.28, 20, Paul exhorted the Ephesian elders, that the Holy Spirit made you episopaths, made you guardians, made you overseers over the flock of Christ. It is the idea of having oversight. It is a responsible call for to be an overseer. What are the responsibilities? First Peter five seventeen. Overseers are called to, to, to rule, to preach, and to teach. James 5.14, they are to pray for the sick. First Peter 5, 1 Peter 5.1 and 2, they are to care for the church. Same passage, they are to be examples for the church to follow. Acts 15.22, they are to set church policy. 1 Timothy 4.14, they are to ordain other leaders. It is not a light thing to be an overseer of the church. This aspiration, this responsible aspiration, a heavy responsibility, and I'll tell you guys often, very often, I am overwhelmed by the responsibility of being an elder at Cornerstone. You gotta understand, I'm responsible. Bob is responsible. Hebrews 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? Because they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. I understand full well there will come a day I will stand before Christ and give give an account for every single member of Cornerstone Bible Church. My teaching of the word of God to them. My shepherding of their soul. My diligence to pray for them. To protect them. To guide them. Bob and I will give an account. That is an overwhelming thought. It is not a responsibility out of duty, but it is a responsibility out of love, but still it is a heavy responsibility. The fourth call is that it is a worthy call. Worthy call. Verse 1, he desires a noble task. Another English translation is he desires a good task. Two Greek words again: agathos, kalos. Agathos is just moral good. Kalos is beautiful good. And the Greek word there is kalos. It is a good call. It is a beautiful call. For a man to aspire to do this, you're not aspiring to do something that is immoral. That is even shallow, or secular, you're not aspiring to do something that is selfish. No, if you're aspiring to be an overseer, that is beautiful. It's beautiful what you're trying to do. It is praiseworthy. It is inherently good. It is noble. It is the most worthy and most noble calling in the world. John Wycliffe, the 14th century reformer, wrote, The highest service that men may attain to the earth is to teach the word of God. So if you're trying to be an overseer, you want to teach God's word to others, therefore it's a noble call. The 17th century puritan pastor Cotton Mather agreed. He said the office of the Christian ministry rightly understood is the most honorable and most important that any man in the whole world can ever sustain. It is a work which an angel might wish for as an honor to his character. It is such an honorable, important, and useful office that if a man be put into it by God and made faithful and successful through life, he may look down with disdain upon even the office of the king and shed a tear of pity on the brightest king on the earth. It is a worthy call. Finally, it is a demanding call. It is a demanding call. Paul rightly says that it is work, ergon. It is labor. True ministry requires demanding lifelong work. It's a demanding occupation. Demanding task. And I guess this is why so many don't want to be leaders. They're content to be invisible at church. Just be one of the faces. As a man, just help and serve. And just be part of the church. Because they understand the responsibilities that come with leadership. you understand? If I strive to be a leader at the church, then I have to be a leader at home. I have to be a leader in my own heart. That means I have to be sacrificial. I have to be selfless. That means I have to commit. I have to dedicate myself. And I have to discipline myself. No, it's okay. I, I'm too busy with fantasy basketball. I have not time for that. All right. Pastor John MacArthur writes, The cost of true greatness is humble, selfless, sacrificial service. The Christian who desires to be great and first in the kingdom is the one who is willing to serve in the hard place, the uncomfortable place, the lonely place, the demanding place, the place where he is not appreciated and may even be persecuted. Knowing that time is short and eternally long, he is willing to to spend and be spent. He is willing to work for excellence without becoming proud, to withstand criticism without becoming bitter, to be misjudged without becoming defensive, and to withstand suffering without succumbing to self-pity. When faithful believers have done everything they can for the Lord, the limit of their abilities and energy, they say to Christ, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Luke 17.10 If you want an easy life, if you want a comfortable life, run away from leadership. But if you want to waste your life, run away from verse 1. Don't aspire. Just be content and be comfortable. But if you want to redeem your life for Christ, aspire to this labor. God is pursuing such men today. First Samuel thirteen fourteen, Nathan said, or Samuel said, Saul, God has rejected you. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. God sought David out. Ezekiel twenty thirty. I look for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. Second Chronicles 59, the eyes of the Lord raised throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. What is your ambition in life? What is your aspiration? If you are a man, your aspiration must be what's one? It must be. It must be. This is what you must want to accomplish with your life. Right? Where does it start? It starts in your heart. It starts with that decision that my standard will not be a standard of a young Christian. Will not be faithful Christian. No, because I'm aspiring to be an overseer, my standard is First Timothy 3. Right? Because I want to be a leader. That's the, the mark that I want to set for myself. These are the standards. These are the qualities that I don't want to pursue after because this is the ultimate goal. What do you want to accomplish in your life? Well, how does one aspire to the office of overseer? Let me give you guys just five um, encouragements, five applications. First of all, for the next three weeks, we're going to study three more weeks on First 23. three. Next is on godly character. I mean, one thing about above reproach. And you know, one tip about godly character. You are your reputation. I am not what I think I am. I am what others perceive I am. Right? So if I think I'm godly, but my wife thinks I'm ungodly, who's right? Right. Timothy 3 says, My wife. If I think I'm disciplined, but my reputation is lazy. It doesn't matter what I think about myself. Paul says, your reputation is what matters. Right? Everybody is right in their own eyes. Last verse of Judges. The truth is, right, what the world reveals to you, what the world tells you, that's the mark that matters. That's godly character. Right? It's what your enemies say of you. That's your godliness. So, listen to next week's message. In two weeks, we're going to study shepherding one's own family. That's the third uh, st- study in our series. All right. You want to be a leader at church? Be a leader at home first. Shepherd your wife. Shepherd your children. If you're a single man, you shepherd your own life. All right. Is your life in order? And our final study will be Christian service, ministry. Ministering in the church. The next four, ser- next three sermons, they include it. Take it to heart and say, these are my standards, these are my goals, because my aspiration is to be an overseer. Second exhortation. You want to be a leader. You want to aspire to be an overseer. On Sundays, during your midweek flock during retreats or activities, do this one thing. Step back and observe. Right. Step back and look for needs. That is how God calls you. That is how God calls you. You know, John R. Mott, you know, his theology, you know, I'm talking about this to be desired, but man, a man of passion. I love this man. He was a leader of the student volunteer movement. God used him to send out missionaries to China and Africa is an awesome leader. And he said this, The awareness of a need and the capacity to meet that need, this constitutes a call. All right. So how do you know if you are called to be a leader? Just step back and observe and look for needs. Do that today after church. Step back and everybody's just talking and fellowshiping. Don't step back and look for a need. Ah, oh, this person needs to be encouraged. That person, I know that person has, has this issue. Maybe I can pray for that person now because that person is in need. All right. This person needs to hear the gospel. Or if someone spilled this cup, I'll pick it up. All right. Or this person is struggling to set up chairs. All right. I could help. All right. What constitutes needs? need? Seeing a need. And having the wherewithal, the capacity to meet that need, that's the beginnings of a call. That's the attitude of leaders. It is not who will serve me, who will cater to me, who will meet my needs. The attitude of a leader is it's not about me, it's not about my needs and my wants. How can I serve? How can I help? And that starts by observing and looking for needs. Third way, third application. Um, John Smith told me this years ago. I think in our one of the first retreats we had with him. I don't know. You know, I hear things all the time. I read things all the time, but this one really stuck. And when I heard it. I said, I'm going to follow this. He was a godly pastor, a seasoned minister of the Lord, exhorting me this. I believe it's true. I'm going to take it to heart and I'm going to live by it. And he told me a simple statement. I don't even remember talking to this. He said, just keep keep saying yes to God. Keep saying yes to God. It means to me never say no to God. Never say wait. Never say later. Just always say yes. God presents a need to my life? And my answer is yes. And I've lived by that ever since. Whatever it is. I hope I've exemplified that in my life, in my family, in the church, that when there's a biblical need, my response is yes. I don't don't, don't ever want to say no to God because of anything else. Fourthly, exhortation to women here. We love you, sisters. We love our wives and our women, singles. um, But just know that strong men are to your benefit. Strong husbands, who are they protecting? Right. Who are they guarding? Who are they shepherding? Who are they serving? It's you. Right. So understand that. And I want to ask you, are you currently competing against the men? Or are you complimenting the men? All right. Are you competing against your husband? Or are you helping your husband? to be the man that God wants you to be? Are you complimenting him? Or not verbally, but spiritually, physically. Are you supporting him? Right. Women, help our men aspire to serve and lead. Right. Deflore to them. Grant them headship. Grant them leadership. Deflore their leadership. Submit to them. Wives, help your husbands to be leaders. Help, you know, mothers, help your sons to be future leaders. You know, this is truth. That's why God created women, because we need your help. Right? Eve he was created to help men. Men, we need women's help to be leaders. Without you, we are incomplete. Husbands need the help of their wives. Men need the help of other women. To so aspire to as this call. And then finally, final exhortation. Don't be afraid to fail. Failing is okay. All right? Failure is part of life. Failing is failure. Failing is part of life. It's unavoidable. You know what? It's a good teacher. All right? And Marcus isn't interested to sure about him, but he emailed me and saying, I important to you guys, right? Oh you know, about his decision about leaving Kelly and Julie back. He should have left another brother back. And that's what I was thinking. I didn't know to was Marcus? No problem whatsoever, brother. It's nothing. Failing is okay. Making mistakes, that's life. If you want to be a leader, that's how to grow as in leadership. By dropping the ball, right? Making mistakes. Just, doing, just making major errors. That's okay. I take that pressure off. And right? Don't fear rejection. Don't fear criticism. Don't let these things, fear of failure, paralyze you from aspiring to this call. All right? Well, let me close with two quotes. Maybe my favorite secular quote, and then close with Second Timothy four one through eight. This will be my last statement from the pulpit this year 2003 or well, the first quote is from theodore roosevelt it says it is not the credit who counts who points out where the doer of deeds could have done better the credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly who errs and comes up short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the devotions, and spends himself or herself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and at the worst at least fails while daring greatly, so that his or her place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Our Father, it is our humble prayer that you would grant the men of our body grant us the grace to send this call upon our lives to aspire to the office of overseer to desire this noble work Lord, that that this will be our standard that this will be our goal aspiration, ambition in life so that We might be the teachers, the guards,